Hello, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim, and welcome to the Backstage Show. Well, we're we're uh, continuing our discussion about the audition experience from the point of view of the actors. Yes, uh, last week we talked about uh, preparing, choosing a script, going to the actual audition. This week, we discuss what happens after the audition. Auditions, possibly plural, because there yes. could be multiple stages of this that you may have had to go through by now. So, have you had? Callback experiences? Oh yes. Do we want to do, do we want to mention what callbacks are? Are we assuming everybody already knows that? I wouldn't assume anything, Glenn. All right, Jim. Well, why don't you tell us what callbacks are? <laughs> I'd be happy to. Uh, well, a callback audition. If you don't happen to know what that is, is basically another uh, round or screening, whatever you want to call it, where say if it starts out with an open audition or people have come in by appointment, that might just be the first barrier, so to speak. Uh, which means that if you get notified later that they want you to come back to a callback audition, that means you're usually being seriously considered for a role, but they haven't officially decided anything yet. Uh, so you have to go back in and basically do it all over again, usually. Now, there might be a little bit more involved with it. That was a very long definition. So <laughs> so that covers pretty much everything. Sorry. But, but that's the whole story. But let me sum up. <laughs> So an audition, essentially, is you go in, you try out for a role. A callback is like a second audition after the first one. Essentially, usually there'll, there'll be a large pool of people at the first audition and a smaller pool of people at the callback. Yeah? Yeah. That sum it up? Yeah. Cool. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is going off the rails real early wow. this time. Should we start over? <laughs> No, let's keep going. Let's, right. let's let's tough it out here. So right. so that's callback. So that's what happens. Uh, that's one thing that can happen after your first audition. You just have another audition. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the other two possibilities, which will occur either after that first audition or after the callbacks or callbacks from the callbacks, because you could have more than two rounds, although that seems pretty rare in community theater if if, if it happens if, at all. If there's, if there's even been one round of callbacks, that's... Yeah, not that even, common. Yeah, even that is uncommon. So after that, if then there's another round of callbacks, if I were an actor, I might be a little bit worried about how much I'd trust this yeah. director. Well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I have heard of um, at least one theater that brings you back multiple times. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to start dropping theater names on that one. No, that's fine. Yeah. But why? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think uh, because they have multiple nights of auditions, and then I believe they have like a general audition for the whole season. So it's so many different pools they're gathering from that to to dilute that down into a cast requires multiple callbacks. I, I honestly don't know. That that's my that's my guess as to why they do. Huh. I've also haven't really been familiar with the general audition process. Any audition that I've been aware of or attended was for one specific show. Yeah, I almost went to one once. I know uh, Stagecrafters, I believe, does that every year where they have a uh, general audition where all the directors for the season are there hmm. and they kind of take notes on that. And then they go back and they cast from that pool as well as holding auditions for a specific show. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's uncommon, but... Um, yeah, it it allows everybody to see everybody at once, and then they can worry about conflicts with people 
who are interested in multiple shows, they can be like, oh, I want them. Well, I want them. And then they can negotiate that out ahead of time. Hmm. Yeah, that, well, that might depend on the theater schedule, I guess, in that case, if there's how much yeah. overlap there is in the shows. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know why they do it, but I know they do do it, or they, at least they used to do it. Well, at any rate, a more typical callback is going to be for a specific show, and it's usually a good sign that you're you're in the running. Yeah, if you pass I mean, the first wave, so exactly, you're you're working your way in there. But you might have maybe in that case, it might be less of a cold read scenario. I well, I mean, it would be less cold unless they're. Unless they're pulling from different areas of the script, yeah, it might be different scenes to read. Yeah, or it might be the same scenes over again. And yeah, with different people. Yeah, I, I tend to think that one of the biggest reasons to have callbacks is they're getting more into the nitty gritty of trying to Parents. match people up. Yeah, yeah, most likely. Have you had callbacks for? I shows? have. Yeah, I, I've never had a callback. I, I mean, either I, I guess either I've just been rejected outright, or the shows haven't used callback. Uh, well, the first time I did a callback. It was the first, maybe it was the only time, I can't remember, but Mm -hmm. the main reason was pairing people up because there were two romantic leads and I was trying to match people up to see who had the best chemistry. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was... Wait, so you did this as a director then? As a director. As it happened to you as an actor? No, I can't, other than going back to high school, Mm -hmm. um, the musicals, that was their stint. They had like a two-stage audition process, so that was normal, but no, as in community theater, I've don't think I've ever gone to a callback audition. Yeah. I mean, I see them come up all the time, but I, I guess either I haven't auditioned for shows that use callbacks or I haven't needed. I, I know I've auditioned for stuff where they have done callbacks for some of the roles, yeah. but not all of them. And I haven't had the, the callback on that. Yeah. I, I, I think it would be more related to major roles or again, looking for specific Pair, pairings yeah. of people or groupings mm-hmm. of people, usually for either romantic you know, co-romantic leads kind of things yeah. or family or whatever. Or I could see like, you know, both of us have directed True West and you've got two brothers being cast. I could see yeah. if, you know, two guys you were considering, one came on, you know, they came on different nights. Yeah, you might want you to have, try pairing them together. If you have multiple kind of nights of the first or main wave of auditions and mm-hmm. you had people in mind from different nights that you want to see together in a non-romantic capacity. Right. Makes sense. So... Once you get through either the callbacks or the first round of auditions, if they're not holding callbacks, you got one, two things that can happen. You're going to get cast or you're not going to get cast. <laughs> wow, that's so binary. Well, it is. I mean, you can't sort of get cast. Well, no, actually, I suppose you could get offered a role that you weren't interested in or was that was not your first choice. Now, that's something that I'll probably want to discuss more, again, from the director's point of view. I know we keep saying that, but... But as an actor, it's something well, you, have you have to consider to... going into it. What you know, and you might be asked that question on audition form. If if not offered the role that you are targeting, would you accept another role? Right, and I I think what I was talking about with the director's point of view is I would strongly encourage actors to make sure that they answer that question honestly. Because I've had it happen before where somebody says, yeah, I'll take any role. And then you offer them what wasn't their preferred role. And they go, well, I don't know. Let me think about it. And that just as a director irritates me. And as an actor, I always try to be honest Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I'll take this role or this one. But no, I'm not interested in such and such. Going back to our last episode, if you drove to a theater that's 45 minutes away because you really wanted to play Dracula and that was it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. And and you're best to be honest right up front. I agree. Yeah. Sometimes audition forms ask if you are not cast, if you are still interested in helping out with the show in some other capacity, like stage managing Mm -hmm. or costumes or props or... So let me ask, as an auditioner, 
have you ever said yes that you would do that i think i might have mm -hmm. because as a I, director do you put that on your form i think it's been part of the standard format mm -hmm. of the audition forms that i've used for the theaters i've directed at yeah i think i put it on mine but as a director and i think as an actor i feel like that could get kind of awkward because you're auditioning you're hoping you're going to get in and you get i mean you get rejected it is definitely a sense of rejection we'll discuss more about that in a minute but it's kind of hard that you're then going to be like you know a stage hand and hand these people that beat you out on the roll, hand them their props. It just feels a little awkward to me. I think it depends on your mindset. I, I guess. guess. Maybe I have a bad mindset on that. <laughs> <laughs> so that does kind of lead us into the whole, you know, why you weren't cast. Because you sucked. Yeah. I, it, look, <laughs> that's a possible reason. I mean, it, it, it is certainly possible that you got rejected just because you either weren't good in that role or you're just not a good actor. And... <laughs> It happens, and, and the truth hurts. Yeah, Let, let's be honest here. Anybody in community theater knows, like, sometimes bad actors get roles anyway. It yeah. certainly happens. So, yeah. it, it's something that a lot of people just do. You know, we're we're doing this for fun. We're not doing this because we're getting paid. So, if you got nobody else, then you might give it to somebody who just can't handle the role, really. But primarily, that's usually not the reason you're not cast. I think. Or maybe that's just me because I don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, uh, a huge part of it is just, well, how many people were there? Yeah. How, what's the available talent pool from which to pick from? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're going to an audition and there's five available roles and six people there, then, well, you're only going to have to turn down one person. But yeah. if there's the same five roles and 50 people audition, a lot more people get rejected. Well, yeah, I mentioned this in the last episode, the proof audition that I went to at Forge many years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... I don't even remember any people that were there. It was I think I might have been at that. 30s, 40s. I don't know if you were there the same no, night you know that I was. I did. I don't remember you I did sound design for that show. Oh, really? Or I ought, no, you know what? I think I just gave them, I think I gave them a couple of their sound cues. I think they were short on a couple and I, okay. and I offered to help out. Well, there might have been like, I don't know, 30, 40 some people there the night I was there and there's what, four four parts in the show? Yeah. So, yeah. And two male parts, right? Two male, two female. Two male, two female. So, so, yeah, right off the bat, your chances just aren't statistically very good. Yeah, the smaller shows are generally harder to get into because if you've got the same number of auditioners and there's four roles versus, you know, eight roles or 12 roles, mm -hmm. there's just more to go around. Yeah. So, and, the statistics. Yeah, and with a show like Proof. That's a really popular show. It's a popular show. It gets done a lot, and it's a great actors show so you got a lot more people coming out for it and it's just a really good show mm -hmm. altogether. so yeah that can be hard and it's a numbers game a lot of the time in, in that case absolutely and, and the more there are to choose from the more the director can kind of go for their ideal yeah and then and then it comes down to pairing people up like again with proof there's like there's a romantic pairing right. there or a possible romantic pairing. So you got to make sure that these two people work well together. And, and that's but another factor that has to be considered. If it's a couple that they're believable as a couple. Right. I mean, I'm, it's funny. I've, I've had experiences where married couples will audition and the directors don't think they work well as, <laughs> as a romantic pairing. And they end up like, I've, I've seen cases where the, both of the married couple are cast but they're cast in roles that are not attached to each other, which is always interesting to me. Well, it's I don't think it's that surprising because just because a married couple has their own personal chemistry, mm -hmm. it might not be the same as what the character's chemistry yeah. is supposed to be. So Yeah, it doesn't necessarily doesn't translate me. to the stage. Right, that too. Yeah. 
could be a very kind of solid, low-key uh, rapport that they have as real people, but does not work at all for the characters. Right. And the same with the director making the decisions about what pairings look good. The director has stuff in mind for the roles, and they you just might not match up to what their vision is. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. It's you're you're trying to guess what the the director's vision is and without knowing what it right really based is. on the script and sometimes the script will specify something where you're thinking well maybe the director's vision will be different than what the script says but the director is restricted by the script yeah and that depends on the type of show too it's mm-hmm. a more like a classic if it's shakespeare or something that could be portrayed or depicted more in an abstract way than right it could be anybody's guess what the actual specific vision is other than what the director has hopefully expressed or told people. Yeah. Yeah. It's generally easier if the director has a clear idea of vision and expresses that idea to you ahead of time. So you kind of know what you're going in aiming for. And if not run away fast. Yeah. Like um, if they're looking for a Glenn type run away fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some other plays are a lot more straightforward if it's uh, what we call one of those Lots of doors closing types of farces. Mm-hmm. There's pretty much one approach for that kind of a show. So yeah, generally, I mean, but there are certain roles in certain in certain farces where like a gender could change. That's true. Yeah, I mean that, and that's something you should know up front going into it as far as you know what what amount of flexibility mm-hmm. is there with each of the roles, and that also differs depending on what the director feels they can do and what the publisher will actually permit them to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, particularly in community theaters, changes will be made from the script and the descriptions in the script uh, made by the director, which technically are not allowed. I know as a director, I've done that myself. I, I've changed so genders I. of characters just because, you know, the talent pool is such as it is. Yeah, I, it seems unavoidable in certain cases because, oh, I found the perfect person this role, but for this role, but... She doesn't have blue eyes, and there's one line in the show about somebody referencing her blue eyes. Right. Yeah, that that to me is a little different, I feel. I mean, um, I actually played, one of the first roles I played was in uh, musical comedy Murders of 1940. I played um, a character who was a German Nazi who was pretending to be Irish, I believe, for most you of the show. You had to do like three different accents. Yeah, he was Irish. I think yeah. he briefly t- pretends he's Italian. Uh, anyway, so this character is supposed to be German Nazi, so he's supposed to be uh, blonde hair, blue eye. I am, which is exactly what Glenn looks like. Yeah, now I am brown hair and hazel eyes. So the, there's a line in the show where somebody looks into the guy's eyes and goes, "Your eyes are very blue," which mine are clearly not blue. I mean, at best they <laughs> might pass for brown, maybe green on a good day, but they will never pass for blue. And I, you know, I'm not getting colored contacts for this, so they just change the line to "Your eyes are very deep." I mean, which was equally funny. It didn't have the same meaning because the meaning was supposed to be, oh, this guy is clearly German right? Uh, and, and Aryan. But so that's not necessarily going to restrict you from getting cast, but it could restrict you from getting cast. The director might be, no, this guy has to have blue eyes. And they're entitled to do that. They make the decisions. Yeah, unfortunately, it, uh, you have to have a little bit of a thick skin, I think, when it comes to this kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I think you have to have a lot of a thick skin because if you're auditioning, you are going to be rejected. I yeah. don't care how <laughs> good like you are. It's like a job interview, basically. Yeah, I don't care how good you are and how crappy the theater or the show is or unskilled the director is. It doesn't matter. If you are, you will sometimes be shocked and think, how could they give the role to this person because I'm clearly a better actor? 
but it doesn't always come down to that. I would say most of the time it does not come down to acting ability. It comes down to who is right for that role in that show with that rest of that cast. Mm-hmm. Um, another consideration that sometimes puts people to disadvantage can be age. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think both of us are reasonably lucky in that our age ranges are somewhat large because we are a little bit older towards middle age, but we can still pass for a little bit younger than we are. Maybe you more than me because you are a little bit younger than me. <laughs> but no, so, I mean, you know, we could play 30s. Well, are you still, I think I you, could still do that. <laughs> Since you just turned 40, yeah, I think you can still play 30s. <laughs> you know, I'm closer to 50, but I think I could still play late 30s at least. I think you could. Yeah. But at the same time, we could also play up to almost any age because it's a lot easier to make a character look older than younger. My wife, who is right. not that far from my age, played a character who was, I think, supposed to be like in her 80s. That's right. That yeah, was so uh, I saw that show. It was a pretty good show. She yeah. did a good job with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was convincing enough. She, she altered her voice to... Uh, have an older sound to it Uh, so i think generally the risk is that you're too old rather than not old enough well i was also thinking along the lines of well first off i tend to give i tend to follow age ranges you know in a description of characters character description for an edition as a director Mm -hmm. publishing it it just means i'm looking for somebody who can reasonably play that range not that they have to be that age but where I was where I was coming from with this too is age in relation to other cast members as right. well. Right. Yeah, I mean that that comes down to the pairing thing if you're if you're in a couple and you're apart by 20 years, that can that's be not a little challenging or generational differences. Sure, if you're supposed to be a pair. Well, I mean proof is a, is a good example right there. You yeah. have a, a father-daughter in yep. there. So if the two of you are too close in age and it might not even come down to oh you're too old to play the the daughter character, it might be well the best one to play the father is younger. Right. So we have to so we're forced to, to cast younger. Ca- they call it casting young or casting old. Yeah. So it's easier to take a younger guy and cast him older as the father. I think I've seen that done in that show before where where they, you know, grade up his hair and, and aged him a bit. But it's a lot easier to do that. So that might work, but I mean there's a limit to anything. I, yeah. I guess my, my point being I'm kinda of babbling here. My my point being that it's not necessarily that you're too old or too young. It's that based on the puzzle and how pieces are gonna fit together they have to cast older or younger for the other roles and right. then you subsequently wouldn't fit into that puzzle. I think the bottom line with it is ultimately exactly what you said. It's a puzzle. Yeah. There are a lot of things that all have to come together from the entire cast. It's and not it's all moving parts. It's not necessarily a reflection of any individual, whether they're good or bad or good or bad for a role. It's how you fit into the overall yeah. grand scheme of things. That's the biggest thing to remember. If you're getting rejected, it, it's not... You can't take it personally. Yeah, it's not rejecting you personally. It's not rejecting your ability most of the time. It's usually just rejecting your ability to fit into a larger puzzle. Right. And, well, this is a case where you as an actor, if you have, say, a dream show or a dream role or you're looking at what to audition for, what's coming up at a particular theater, then certainly if you do not get cast in one production and you still want to do that role somewhere else, then that's something you're going to be looking for. Yeah. Down absolutely, the road. and it's absolutely. not that hard to find because it is very common for lots of theaters to be doing the same shows within a year, year and a half, two years from one another. Yeah, ironically, I've I've spoken in past episodes about uh, recently the, the last show that I did, Arsenic and Old Lace. There was another production at another theater 
of the same show just a couple of months before, and they lost one of their lead roles like a month or so into auditions. And I was contacted to see if I would be interested in taking that over. And I went back and forth on it. But my determination on that was I felt I was too old for the role and I wouldn't be comfortable playing it. Mm -hmm. So when I auditioned for it, where I did get cast in that show, I did not even put down that role as one I was interested in because I just didn't feel, first of all, I thought it was going to be a very large commitment, which it is because it's a larger lead role. And secondly, I just, I personally felt I was too old for that. Now, ironically, when you, when they put the whole show together, the guy that did get cast in that was pretty close to the same age as me. So from that perspective, I certainly could have played it, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just viewing this as, okay, what would I do? And, and to me, I didn't feel as an actor that that was a role that fit me well. Fair enough. You have to be, whatever it is, you have to, obviously have to be comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that goes for not just that type of scenario, but just being comfortable with what the whatever the role calls for. Right, yeah. I mean, that that's... We didn't really talk about that so much before, but s- some roles that are more demanding than others are specific. Well, and some roles things. just might require something you're specifically not comfortable with. What uh, Something that comes to mind is when I directed the, uh, the show Accomplice, there is a guy in there that kisses i believe everybody else in the cast or just about and two of them are women and one of them is a guy so Mm -hmm. you have to be comfortable with that and you know some guys aren't comfortable kissing other guys and if that's not the case make sure that you read the script and know about it the last show i directed there was uh, a romantic couple that got together by the end of the show and they have a whole you know two scenes i think where they're making out and there's one where the father comes in while they're kissing and and interrupts them so it has to be like a lengthy kiss and I found out after I offered the role to actors that they weren't comfortable with that. So as a as a director, I had to sit and think, well, can I work around work around it? But really, as an actor, it's kind of your responsibility to know there's something like that in the script ahead of time. Yeah, and as a director, I if there's anything that I'm you know thinking that some people may or may not be comfortable with, I usually try to be up as upfront about it in the audition. Yeah, I think that's a lesson that I learned is that's something that should have been in there. To me, like a stage kiss isn't that a big a deal, but to some people, it might be. To some people, swearing might be a problem. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, you know, your best as a as an actor, you should really try to familiarize yourself with the script, I think. Right. Uh, but to, if, to, you know, a reason why you might not be cast is if you're maybe not comfortable doing something that a particular role calls yeah. for. Yeah, I mean, that's and a reason. if there's no way to work around it reasonably, then unfortunately, you're out of luck yeah. in that case. I just uh, thought of a... Here's a nice little story. Okay. This is actually the first uh, community theater production I auditioned for. Mm-hmm. It was Barefoot in the Park. I was auditioning for the husband. And for most of the audition, I was like the only guy there that would be considered for the role. So I right. almost thought I was a shoe in And then maybe, I don't know, maybe it was about halfway through another guy came in and he was getting to read the part more and I was not feeling so confident. And then towards mm-hmm. the end of the audition, there's a scene in the show where they're coming back from dinner with her mother and he's carrying her on his back carrying the mother-in-law on his back back into the apartment Mm -hmm. so they the director actually had us attempt to do that with the people who are auditioning for the mother-in-law seems reasonable well i couldn't do it (laughs) i take it you did not get that role i did not get that role (laughs) yeah and that was kind of a deal breaker because from the point of view of the director and is that i could not do that yeah I, I mean, not yeah. fulfill, I guess, the need of the role in that case. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of thing, they might have just looked at you and looked at who that, you know, it's something that they might make a call on without having it tested even. And that doesn't mean, again, that you're not good as an actor. 
Mm-hmm. It just means the physical demands of the role weren't there. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly what it was in that case. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about matching the vision. We've talked about chemistry. We've talked about supply and demand. Something else to consider is every actor, especially community theater actors, have conflicts. Yeah. So there's going to be times that you're not able to make rehearsals and you're best to let them know that ahead of time, even though it That's might usually be requested reason. on a form. Yeah. Usually what days it, are you available to rehearse? You know, here are the days for tech, uh, tech week and the show dates. You have to be available for all of these dates. Yeah. And you're was, better off, I think, saying that up front if you're not available rather than going through the whole process, accepting a role and then providing your conflicts, yeah. which I've had as a director and going, well, why did you do this? Because now we have to, we have no choice but to either work around this or, or recast, which right. is annoying. So, so I, it might be a reason you're not cast, but it's still better to be upfront about it. Yeah. Sometimes, um, sometimes it might be announced upfront, which, which days are the rehearsal days. They're predetermined. Yeah. Sometimes a director isn't sure and is going to base it on, the availability of the cast, mm-hmm. in which case, if 90% of the cast is available on these weeknights and you're the odd man out, as it were, yeah. then realistically, that may prevent them from casting you. Yeah, but but I mean, it's difficult to go into an audition as an actor knowing that that might be a reason you don't get cast. But I still say, particularly from a director's standpoint, it's really so much better to say that up front and risk being rejected because otherwise they're just going to hate you afterwards because then they're forced with a decision to either work around your schedule or recast, neither of which is easy. Exactly. So it's worth getting risking not being cast for that, I think. Another consideration is for the kind of role you're going for, just in general, what is your experience level? You might mm-hmm. find that if you're relatively new to community theater or maybe a particular theater, particular theater, it's possible, you know, it depends on the comfort level of the director, I guess, if they, how willing are they to work with you without really knowing what you can do yeah. entirely. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a reason not to audition, but you do have to keep in mind that if you're going to a new theater and going out for a huge role, Odds are the director's probably seen a lot of other people, is more familiar with their experience. And even if you're an experienced actor just going to a new theater, that can be, they might not be as comfortable with you. But particularly if you don't have a lot of experience, if you're going after the larger roles, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to be an uphill battle because that's something that has to be factored in because people with experience are going to be more comfortable. They'll be, you know, a little quicker on the uptake. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to say it, but community theaters are relying on these shows to be reasonably successful and just a hand business. Yeah, it, it is a business. Unfortunately, usually it's a nonprofit business, mm-hmm. but they still have to make money on it. They still have to get good word of mouth. They still have to get people who see one show and they really like it and want to come back to another one. Yeah. So you got to keep in the mind level of risk taking. I think that maybe a production crew or a director may want to take on certain roles in a show that are really critical to the success of the show in their view may be very limited. Absolutely. I mean, you have to keep in mind that nonprofit theaters, it's not that they don't make a profit, it's that they spend all of the profit they make and they have to. They're just the upkeep of the building and mm-hmm. the rights for the shows and all of that kind of thing, it costs money. So it's just that they're not making a net profit. Right. Yeah, they still have to pay for all the expenses of the show and the royalties and everything. And yeah, and just keeping the building in business yeah. and printing programs, all sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah, so 
at, depending on how many, particularly if a, you know most theaters may only do four, five, six shows a year, they mm-hmm. can't really take a lot of chances on yeah. one being a super dud because they picked the wrong leading person. Yeah. Now that said, depending on the director, some of them are willing to take that chance if they have right. enough confidence in you. I mean, that was, you know, I've, I've told the story of walking in, I think I said it last week, of walking into an unfamiliar theater and landing John Proctor in the Crucible. So mm-hmm. it does happen. Yeah, it does. And it's not like, but at the same time, I didn't walk into that without any experience. I had been doing theater for years before mm-hmm. I started to do something like that. It was unexpected. I didn't think I'd get that role, but I certainly wasn't going to turn it down. So about the only other thing that we should discuss is the dreaded pre-casting. Uh-oh, you said the P word. Yeah. So this is something, if you're not familiar with it, there are certain directors at certain theaters in community theater, and I'm sure this is done on a professional basis, that despite claiming that a role is open and available, they already know who they're going to give that role to. This is known as pre-casting. Now, Sometimes it's done above board and they will let you know that this role is not available. It has already been cast. Other times they won't do that. I've auditioned for shows where I thought it was pretty clear that I did better than somebody else. And I walk away and wait to hear back. And eventually I find out that the director has cast their spouse in that role, which, you know, sometimes that can happen legitimately. You can get beat out by anybody, but... There are some times where you're going to get rejected from a role and it, by all means you should have gotten that role, but the director has made a questionable decision. It's in some ways, it's really not unlike job interviews. Yeah. Nepotism. Yeah, exactly. Anything who like you that. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not who you, it's not. You know, they, the director. Go what's who you know. I, whatever. The, you know, the director <laughs> uh, gave the, the really good leading role to his best buddy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does happen. Um, I certainly don't support that. No, I... As a director, like, I, I've spoken to my wife, and, and we pretty much came to the conclusion, and this was before we had a son, and it couldn't happen, that she would never audition for me because it's just, you know, there's only two outcomes of that. Either I cast her, and she's happy, but then she's stuck working with me as a director, <laughs> or I don't cast her, and she's upset about it because it doesn't matter. Like, even if she comes away from that feeling that she should not be cast, she's still going to be upset if I cast somebody else. And if I do cast her, she might be happy, but everybody's going to think, oh, she just got that role because she's married to him. Yeah, I've I've been in the same boat. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm talking before about auditioning for a role and finding out that the director's spouse was cast, even though I felt that I deserved the role. Well, it's entirely possible that she just felt he did a better job than, than me. But I'm still thinking that he got the role because he's married to her. Yeah, it's kind of hard to shake that off. Yeah, I mean, it's a catch-22 as, that, as a director, but as an actor, you just have to understand that that might happen. It can definitely happen. Yeah, it doesn't make it right. Well, on that note... I guess that pretty much covers <laughs> all the reasons you might not have gotten the role. Aside from you sucked. Well, hey, we covered that too. I mean, it's certainly a possibility, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't audition, even if you do suck. <laughs> you know, uh, I, think, um, I think some people... It's, I've had the inkling that some people who come to auditions maybe just want to get audition experience. Yeah, that's They're not necessarily going to be upset if they don't get in a particular show. They just maybe want to go and go for the experience of auditioning. Yeah, I know when I first started doing community theater, I was auditioning for pretty much everything. And it wasn't that I even knew what the shows were about ahead of time all the time. It was just that, well, you know, this is 
my hobby now and I want to get involved as much as I can and I want to get experience auditioning as well as acting. I think I've had at least on one occasion a guy came out to audition for, this was for a show I directed and Mm -hmm. I had him read once or twice and after that I caught him up the next time. He's like, no, that's all right. I I don't think I want to do this show. I Mm -hmm. just kind of wanted to come check this out. Yeah. Well, and that's that's nice that he didn't keep spending your time. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I'm not wasting my time, but, but, you know, you may find or you might uh, yourself or, you know, other people happen to be at the audition are there not because they're seriously trying to get in the show. Yeah, it's entirely possible. You never know what's going to be there. No. Yeah. And you never know what the outcome is going to be. And I guess that's one of the reasons you go through the auditions. And that's part of the fun of it. I think if I had any advice to give anybody that's auditioning is go in there with the attitude that you're just going to have fun. And if you get cast, it's just gravy. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, you know, you have to plan for the possibility of rejection and just enjoy it for what it is. And yeah. if you get in, great. Gravy. Yeah. I mean, and I've gone to auditions where I'm just like, I really like this show and I like these roles and I just enjoyed being able to briefly act a couple of scenes on stage, even if I didn't get cast. Mm-hmm. So next week, uh, we're, we're going to switch perspectives from this. We've been mostly talking about the actor's perspective. Trying but, to. Yeah. <laughs> with auditions and, uh, and casting. And next week, we're going to switch to the director's perspective, and we're going to talk about what, uh, how to prepare for auditions. The intricacies, and, the thought process behind it. Yeah, and what our experiences have been, and hopefully you'll join us then. Uh, if you have any ideas on what to cover in future episodes, you can uh, shoot us an email at podcast at backstage.link. You can also visit our website, backstage.link. I'm glad you remember it because... I probably would mess it up if I tried to say it. You just want to say .com, don't you? (laughs) Well, .com was taken, so we're .link. Ah, nuts. Yeah. So uh, tune in then. Uh, Until then, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And you've been listening to The Backstage Show. See you next time. Bye-bye. I I don't know. That's your problem. I split up later. Um, That's my problem. Yeah, it is my problem. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like Porky Pig. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> welcome to the backstage welcome to the show <laughs> and then they go back and cast uh, they have a uh, speaking of porky pig <laughs> you want to take a slurp break <laughs> insert awkward silence here <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I threw in the bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. (laughs)